0: Momentum HSS, a podcast where we explore the diverse, present, and future trends of the humanities and social sciences. This is your host, Darby Orcutt. I am a librarian, teaching faculty, and researcher at NC State University, and adjunct faculty at the School of Information and Library Science at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. My guests on this podcast are an amazing array, including associational leaders, funders, and scholars with deep background in the themes we'll be discussing Please feel free to listen to episodes in any order that makes sense to you. And as you feel moved, I hope you'll reach out via Twitter, at Darby underscore librarian, or more privately via email at dcorcutt at ncsu.edu. As always, I hope you'll be as I am, inspired, encouraged, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. Since 2015, Robert D. Newman has served as president and director of the National Humanities Center working to broaden the center's scholarly mission, diversity, programming, and educational outreach, as well as to encourage vibrant public engagement with and national advocacy for the humanities. Dr. Newman was previously Dean of the College of Humanities, Professor of English, and Associate Vice President for Interdisciplinary Studies at the University of Utah, and also has held faculty appointments at the University of South Carolina, Texas A&M University, and the College of William and Mary. A literary scholar by training, Newman's scholarship is focused on 20th century English literature and culture and narrative theory. He has published six books, numerous articles, reviews and poems, and for the past 19 years has been the general editor of the Cultural Frames, Framing Culture series, published by the University of Virginia Press. Recently, he was celebrated as a distinguished alumnus of both Penn State and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So welcome, Robert. Thank you. Uh, you've spent many years as a powerful voice for why American society needs the humanities. Let's say you suddenly got just two or three minutes with the whole nation listening. What's your best case for the value of the humanities today?
1: Well, the humanities explores the human condition in all of its complexities, in all of its uh, vexations, in all of its nuances, and therefore is essential to a functioning and vibrant democracy as well as a fulfilling life. So there is nothing more foundational, basic, fundamental, and underpinning than the humanities in terms of education, in terms of study, uh, in terms of fostering relationships and interrelationships.
0: I think the humanities should be used by society. What are the, what are the connections that, that need to be stronger for uh, American culture to get what it ought to get out of the humanities.
1: Well, the humanities essentially are U- American culture. <laughs> I mean, American culture, the foundations of American culture, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, are are founding documents, and the founding philosophies that underpin those documents all stem from uh, humanities thinking. The fostering of civil society, the fostering of civil discourse, these are all humanities enterprises. How we relate to one another, how we extend our thinking, how we broaden our perspective, both as individual citizens and as a general citizenry, these are all, again, humanities issues. And the thinking about them and the extension of them all come from uh, and lead to the humanities so there is nothing more uh, foundational again than than what the humanities bring to uh, a civil society and to the realm of civil discourse and of course in the contemporary world we have a lot of conflict we have a lot of big problems and having a humanities perspective to bring to bear in terms of addressing those problems is absolutely essential the Big issues cannot be solved from a singular perspective, um, or the implementation simply of a singular technology. Uh, they require a a, a broad based humanities perspective, coupling with those technological uh, solutions.
0: What about uh, the academy itself and the institutions of humanities research? How do they perhaps need to change, uh, adapt? better connect with society in order to fulfill this vision Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so a vibrant disciplines uh, are always morphing the whole nature of the academy and the the sort of disciplinary perspectives the departmental compartments into which universities and colleges have have uh, been built If they remain, if those individual institutions um, or collective institutions remain vibrant, they have to change. They have to morph. And the humanities has always been at the forefront of those changes. The humanities has always been at the forefront of interdisciplinary thinking. It's it's absolutely essential that the academy have a connection with the communities in which they are based. And the humanities can... can provide a vibrant way of fostering that interaction because the humanities themselves are based on fostering community and fostering human relationships. Just a couple of examples. So higher education in and of itself has the whole history of higher education was in America, was initially premised on a broad labor arts education. Our major universities were premised on a broad labor arts education, of which, of course, the humanities is, is both foundational and and fundamental. And the movement away from that broad liberal arts education puts the academy very much in the realm of vocational schools rather than a broad-based uh, uh, education that, that, again, underscores what is important about a connective and a vibrant and, f- and a fulfilling citizenry.
0: Is that movement, though, in some ways connected with trying to figure out how to, how to provide that liberal arts education, though, at scale? Because certainly the student populations have grown immensely over the last several decades.
1: Uh, they have, but again, the humanities doesn't have to be simply thought of as individual disciplines like literature and history and philosophy. Indeed. You know, that's part of what the humanities uh, happen to be. But the humanities is also a kind of methodological approach to things. And as curricula expand to address the major contemporary issues and problems of the day, they are becoming increasingly interdisciplinary and finding connections. So you have things, for example, like brain institutes and cognitive studies and having the philosophy of mind uh, as a fundamental component of those is is quite important. Or you think about medical education and which which has really changed over the years. So the study of narrative, for example, in first year medical education, has become as important as the study of anatomy because budding physicians need to learn how to take uh, good case histories. And therefore, They often have uh, English professors uh, participating as part of the first-year medical experience uh, and study short stories and and novels as a way to think about narrative. Part of the methodologies of the humanities involve how to bridge different perspectives that are usually thought of as being disparate and, and, and how to bridge these kinds of connections, as well as, of course, interrogating existing perspectives. Uh, so the humanities never sort of rest in a static mode. They're always sort of pushing us into uncertainty and, and the realms of uncertainty to, to challenge us and to challenge what is in the way of making, you know, sort of better and and more contemporary connections.
0: I love that that phrase that you used a moment ago. You said that vibrant disciplines are always morphing. And you just gave us a couple of examples of that. What are some specific areas where you see this morphing happening now within the humanities? What do you, where do you see as maybe the most emblematic future sites of that?
1: Well, I mentioned cognitive studies. That's certainly one broad area which has a strong humanities perspective within it. Another area that we're seeing uh, really taking a foothold in the bridging of various disciplines that is rooted in the humanities as environmental humanities. Again, I think what you see is a response from scholars uh, to begin with, and, and this moves into the pedagogical field and and the shaping of curricula and what majors look like in the future as well, Largely in response to big contemporary issues. So to stay with the issue of environmental humanities, for example, you know, climate change is maybe the most profound issue facing us as a culture, as a planet. And the humanities has responded in the area of environmental humanities to try to bridge the sciences the social sciences the humanities perspectives to address issues of climate change knowing that we can have all the most significant and uh, groundbreaking technological advances but to know whether or not we should implement those technological advances the ethics of implementing those technological advances, where to implement those technological advances, which require a knowledge of the history and the culture and the sort of social background of of place. These are all humanities issues. So I think, again, the adaptability of the humanities, the problem solving that comes with studying the humanities are all extremely significant in terms of the bridging of what, again, used to be very compartmentalized and rigid disciplines that is now taking place in the academy, in scholarship, and increasingly in pedagogy and curricula as well to try to respond to uh, the issues of the day.
0: This morphing does take Time It does take attention and it especially takes a challenging of some of the traditional structures and assumptions that the academy has. What are the biggest obstacles or pitfalls that you see in in moving towards this interdisciplinary, problem-based future that you foresee?
1: Well, in the academy itself, a lot of the issues are the archaic nature of budgetary structures and the funding that comes into particularly state universities again there has been this this stem only mantra that cease attempts to kind of marginalize the humanities rather than seeing it as a as a partner with stem i think that's that's extremely problematic and the whole nature of how universities and colleges have been structured over time uh harkens back to and to again, sort of archaic budgetary structures, uh, departments were often very sort of conservative entities and the institutions in higher education for all the accusations that are lobbied against them in terms of that they're bastions of neo-Marxism and, and radical perspectives, I think that's really wrongheaded. I think uh, higher education institutions are some of the most conservative entities that we have in our society. Uh, Largely because of these budgetary structures and trying to protect them, departments were often largely founded because of personalities and they try to preserve those sort of personalities rather than thinking about the major issues of the day and how, how they need to morph. Also, there's this, I think, very limited, rather myopic perspective about how the humanities don't foster economic incentive. And of course, students, rightly so, are extremely concerned about landing a good job. There is this very nearsighted perspective that the humanities won't get them that good job, whereas the STEM disciplines uh, will. And... I think the data show that that is simply not true. Now, maybe majoring in English or philosophy or whatever won't land them the immediate high-paying job that um, some other discipline uh, might. But the data show that over the course of one's career, that majoring in the humanities essentially provides the same salary income, especially at mid-career, that majoring in STEM disciplines do. If we look at the leaders of Fortune 500 companies, about 65% of the leaders of Fortune 500 companies, uh, the CEOs, majored in the liberal arts. What the humanities teach us very much that often STEM does not is to be adaptable and to solve problems. This is an extremely important perspective. And what students these days will find themselves doing over the course of their uh, careers, their employment careers, is very different than what used to happen, you know, two three decades ago, when one would enter a singular path to a job and you know largely be in that job for uh, one's entire career. Now people shift jobs often, and technology is often has given us the opportunity to shift as the as we move to a sort of knowledge based economy increasingly rather than solely an industrial based economy and the skill sets that are taught in the humanities in terms of communication in terms of problem solving in terms of uh, writing skills again in terms of adaptability are the skill sets that really arm people to uh, participate in that those shifting opportunities and to adapt as changes come along in the job
0: force. If budgetary structures are one of the major obstacles to a renaissance in the humanities, if you will, what is the role for uh, funders of research and scholarship to help push those ideas forward. I mean, certainly it's been the case that the the National Institutes for Health, the National Science Foundation, for example, have uh, certainly begun in recent years to really privilege research proposals that include social aspects of adoption of technology, of getting the science out into society. What other roles do... uh, to funders of, of research and scholarship can they play in terms of helping to support that movement
1: well I, you mentioned NSF for example I mean NSF increasingly wants a humanities perspective in their proposals when you know when I was a dean at University of Utah, we would partner uh, frequently with um, engineering professors with people in the sciences, uh, and putting together uh, NSF as well as NIH proposals. Because again, uh, trying to address the major issues of the day require that humanities perspective coupled with the, the science, the social science, the, uh, the technological perspectives. So pushing that interdisciplinary agenda is, I think, extremely important to federal agencies and to major foundations. I think we've seen major foundations uh, really sort of take the pulse of the major issues of the day. And try to address them. So you see that happening with uh, with the Mellon Foundation, with the Rockefeller Foundation, with the Ford Foundation in trying to address uh, environmental issues, global health issues, issues of racial injustice, and the humanities have a significant role to play in in all of these uh, avenues. We at the National Humanities Center increasingly see proposals come to us and and accepted by scholars that are working in the intersections of these various disciplines and trying to respond to these contemporary issues and these contemporary problems. And uh, pushing those things forward and having the support to do so uh, strikes me as foundational and fundamental, as well as having the kind of transformational aspects that are so important uh, if we're going to make uh, moves forward in in this problem-solving.
0: What about for funders of scholarship like your role through the National Humanities Center?
1: Well, I would just say that in terms of what we're seeing increasingly, in terms of the, the scholarship that we're supporting, it's important, I think, for us to be a place where – we are supporting the scholar who is doing a study in a very, very narrow traditional area. So, you know, somebody who's doing uh, ancient numismatics uh, in Persia may not have a place to, to get support other than the National Humanities Center. Right. So to continue to preserve those traditional studies uh, that are excellent— and that contributes something to those particular, perhaps narrow disciplines, is important to us as part of our mission. That being said, it's interesting the community of scholars that we have year after year. We do have those traditional scholars, but increasingly we're getting proposals from scholars working in you know uh, critical race studies and environmental humanities, in medical humanities, in legal ethics. In areas that you know perhaps were never entertained here at the National Humanities Center, but increasingly are, because we're at the forefront of these of these interdisciplinary issues. So it's important for us to be supporting both the interdisciplinary perspectives that are looking to reshape disciplines and to launch new embryonic uh, areas that are will eventually um, themselves go back to the the issue of morphine, morphine into new disciplines for the future, as well as, you know,
0: the,
1: the preservation of these important and traditional
0: studies. And that sounds almost exactly like the traditional approach to thinking about funding of scientific research, where you have basic research going on, on the one hand, but increasingly Really thinking about real world issues and, and really funding these big problems at the same time.
1: Yes, I don't think there's really a disconnect between what's going on in the sciences and what's going on in the humanities other than, of course, you know the, the subject matter and perhaps the methodological approach. Although, you know, again, the methodological approach, there are similarities as well both the sciences and the humanities are attempting to respond to what's going on in the world and attempting to find a point of intersection that will improve things. And therefore the bridging between the sciences and the humanities that you see, for example, in environmental humanities, in medical humanities, uh, in a number of other areas in cognitive studies is increasingly important. So, you know, we're, We're, for example, uh, this year, our major international conference is going to be in uh, artificial intelligence and the humanities. And two years ago, we did climate change. So we will bring together and have brought together engineers, scientists, social scientists, legal theorists, uh, people from uh, medicine in conversation with humanists. That's the way to address uh, major issues and major problems. They cannot be solved through a singular perspective. They need a multi, like, multi-perspectival approach. And I think what the humanities is very good at is bridging these various perspectives and helping to foment relationships amongst them.
0: What do you think of the types of support, the sorts of uh, structural supports that these sorts of interdisciplinary humanists will need
1: well in in the humanities of course first of all compared to the sciences the humanities are relatively cheap to support i mean we don't require two or three million dollar lab startups (laughs) we require a study in books uh and perhaps travel to collections travel to archives uh etc so the cost factor is minimal Relatively speaking, still we require that support. We require the support to support libraries, to travel to collections and archives, and to be in conversation with one with one another, and to foster these various intellectual communities that are fundamental and foundational for exploration. And of course, we've always struggled in the humanities, now more so than ever, with finding that support, largely because of. this sort of very myopic perspective that is so economically, immediately economically based rather than long-term economically based about the humanities and and has led to their kind of marginalization.
0: Do you think then that that future that you foresee of of more and more interdisciplinary work on these real world issues, does that help with the perception of the humanities or does that Help with the funding issues because some of the critiques and prejudices against the humanities may not be brought to bear? Yeah, I think I I think it does
1: help in, in that the humanities has become more interdisciplinary in its work. And what the humanities has not done as good a job as it needs to do, and this is starting to shift, is in explaining, ironically explaining, which is what we we should be so good at, how we play a major role in problem solving how we uh provide a kind of economic engine as well as the sciences do uh how we provide these sort of adaptable skills uh in our curricula that foster opportunity uh in the broader economic sphere some of the data I gave you earlier, in terms of well, again looking at sixty-five percent of Fortune 500 company leaders as people that have majored in the liberal arts, looking at mid-career salaries of humanities majors versus other disciplines, and seeing, uh, indeed, you know the humanities are just are as up there as anyone else. So having the elevator speeches that are accessible and that are compelling uh i think is very very important and we've not done as good a job with the rhetoric as as we might
0: not to discount the perhaps uh crisis of public perception and the expertise of scientists but to what extent does public perception of the humanities perhaps become fueled by ideas like well i mean to put it bluntly i'm a human I have I have some expertise in this area, or I'm an armchair historian, or I can read and interpret texts. Do you think that that uh, humanities faces a particular struggle because it's about the human, and the public may may perceive themselves as having experience and expertise in that area that they might not see when it's coming to say astrophysics?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's an issue, but I think. Also, if you were to ask these, to sort of you know the general citizen, what are the humanities? The response would be, oh, it's 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 English, it's uh, it's philosophy, it's it's history. Rather than the humanities is the study of the human condition. It's not isolated to two or three or four esoteric disciplines. It is threaded through all of our studies, and it is threaded through what makes a functioning and a vibrant uh, civilization and democracy. Those intersections need to be articulated better. So, for example, one of the projects that we've been doing for the past couple of years here at the National Humanities Center is called the Humanities Moments Project. And it's a project where we've reached out uh, to people from all walks of life. And we've asked them to think about a transformational moment in their lives, whether it's a moment of great loss uh, or grieving, or a moment of great joy and love. Something that really made was an aha moment that caused a shift in them personally, where they went off in a new direction. And more times than not, what propelled that shift was reading a literary text, or seeing a film, or looking at a painting, or having a a really important conversation, or being present at a major transformational historical event. And I think it's these kind of humanities moments that are so important to bridging the intensely personal with the more interpersonal. Uh, intensely interpersonal aspects that we have. Hmm. So the more that we can foster that kind of recognition in people and that they can see the humanities as as so fundamental to what's going on in their own personal lives, as well as how it connects more interpersonally and more generally uh, in terms of, you know, what's going on in the world and what's going on in Uh, what makes a good citizen and how do we govern well, the better off we're going to be.
0: If you had the ability to change one thing about the humanities, about American culture with regard to the humanities and its connection, other than simply more money, what would that be?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think having people make the connection to the humanities, to understand them more fully, And to understand that fullness in their own lives is so dependent on a humanities perspective. We have the problem in the humanities, and it's a good problem, in that we're troubling. Uh, People that study the humanities are difficult and I mean this in a good in a good sense, in that we're always challenging things. I mean, again, the major methodology or the two methodologies in the humanities are interrogation and bridging. And these seem to be sometimes in opposition to one another. That is, we're never comfortable with what is. We're always interrogating it to see what might be better, to see what's lacking. So, You know, again, with uh, race, class, gender, sexuality studies, we realized that a lot of the inherited perspectives were coming from a singular point of view often, and that a lot of points of view had been marginalized, uh, women's points of view, minority points of view, and to bring them into dialogue with the sort of traditional perspectives became extremely important. And it's that kind of dialogue with oneself, that interrogation of, of what is so that we're not static, the kind of pushing to uncertainty that is often uncomfortable for people. So I guess what I would wish is something that I always wish in a good teacher uh, that is pushing students and pushing listeners out of their comfort zones, and challenging them. But of course, that's, a, that's how we grow as a people and as people, as individual people and as collective uh, peoples, is by being pushed out of our comfort zones. And the other aspect of that, I guess, is what I mentioned is bridging as a, as a major methodological perspective in the humanities. How do we make things that seem to be in conflict or not related to one another, how do we bring them together in ways that are productive? And, you know, a lot of what we're suffering from today is a lack of mediation in different perspectives. We're, we're so polarized. And I think what the humanities does extremely well is to mediate, to bring things that we never thought could be brought together, uh, together to bridge divergent rhetorics. So part of what the humanities teach is listening and listening well. And I think, Being a good person, a good citizen, a good neighbor, a good family member, sustaining community, is all premised upon listening well. So those humanities perspectives, I think, would help us in doing that.
0: What's your biggest fear over the next decade or so for the place or the institutions of the humanities what's the possible dystopia that terrifies you the most
1: well uh, the marginalization of the humanities i think terrifies me quite a bit and i mean that not just in the academy and just in terms of english or literature uh, english or history or philosophy departments or or what have you but a kind of root thinking a fear of being challenged a fear of being pushed out of a comfort zone. Uh, a response only to sort of immediate takeaways rather than a look into the margins of those takeaways a lack of complexity in of our in our narratives these things all i think make me very fearful and i think they lead to a kind of polarization that we're seeing in in our own culture today rather than trying to foster a You know, uh, a citizenry that appreciates its diversity and embraces its diversity, not just in terms of, of the diversity of, of, uh, various ethnic and, and, and racial and gender groups, but also a diversity of perspectives and finds a kind of great richness uh, in that diversity and uh, in in juggling that diversity, the movement to the margins and the movement toward more rigid perspectives that do would not admit to diversity and multi-perspectival uh, ways of thinking and listening, those things really, really frighten me. They are movements away from the humanities rather than movements towards them. So I see the humanities as our great salvation. They always have been. Again, the Constitution, the Declaration, all our founding documents come out of humanity's perspectives in terms of thinking about how we can be better, how we can be at our best, how we can take these major differences and pull them all together in a functioning and vibrant civilization and society. And and that's what the humanity tries to do. It's, it's part of what we do in studying the human condition, again, to go back to my original statements in this, in this conversation, in all of its complexity and, and nuances and vexations, embracing those dif- difficulties and trying to find ways in which we can sort of broaden ourselves uh, so that we can form more lasting and vibrant communities.
0: Well, that's beautiful, Robert. And I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time and for your candid conversation today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Darby. Uh, I enjoyed it very much.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. I'm your host, Darby Orcutt. Be sure to subscribe to Momentum HSS on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you may listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and share it with a friend. And until next time, keep up the momentum.